Hi everyone. Before we get started with today's episode, I just wanted to let you know that you can now support Crisis Twink with a small monthly donation to help support future episodes and operating costs. There's absolutely no pressure to do this. Culture Pig and Crisis Twink will always be free, but any and all donations are highly appreciated. If you go to the show notes in whatever platform you're using to listen to this podcast, there should be a link marked listener support, and you can choose to contribute however much you want in just an easy monthly donation. So if that is something that you want to do, which you know, I mean, very chic look for you to do that. Very sexy, very cool to be financially generous. Come on, sugar daddy. Yes. Yes, God. Hunty slunty sleigh, I say. Um, it would be really nice if you did it. So, And it is very unhinged to be doing this. And everything I just said for the past like 10 seconds is so unhinged. But uh, yeah, absolutely try doing a donation if you can. Thanks. And on with the show. Hey girlies, welcome to Crisis Twink, the podcast where we ring the alarm about cultural emergencies. Whether it's a flop album, an insane headline, a problematic fave, or just something that needs to be urgently discussed or you'll die, we're going to revive it and make sure it gets the medical assistance it so desperately needs. My name is Drew Haskins, and I'm the only twink who can save a culture in crisis. Joining me today is my friend and screenwriter, Lynn Q.U. Hi, Lynn. Hi, thank you for having me on this podcast. First of all, I would love to say I love Crisis Twink. Um, I, it doesn't describe my body type, but it feels like it does inside. <laughs> we all have a Crisis Twink within, like the, like the, the, what's that saying? Like there's a wolf inside you or whatever, like. We all have a Crisis Twink inside of yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> I alternate between being a chaos twink and a crisis twink at any given moment. So. The overlap is, it's definitely a Venn diagram. Like, yes. <laughs> I feel like I've been trying um, recently to stave off both of those things. Like just say, keeping the podcast as my like outlet for crises or whatever, but like I, um, I'm finally busy again for the first time in like three months. And I feel like just the, the mania, the chaos, the crisis, like it's all converging into a, uh, a twink. Chaos pod. twink by day, crisis twink by night. Sure. <laughs> that's fine. Like that's a good way to compartmentalize it. Um, how are you doing? How is the culture treating you? The culture, honestly, the summer has been a lot like there's been a lot of celebrity dating news that has me very upset um i refuse to believe that zendaya is actually dating tom holland like i think that is fully a marvel pr move a la taylor swift and tom hiddleston yeah um i just i just i don't buy it i you know and every time i mention this people are like but did you see tom holland perform on lip sync battle oh yeah the umbrella, umbrella routines like yes yeah. I've seen it I still don't believe they're together yeah I'm it does like smack of PR stunt to me but I these rumors have been going on for so long too and they both are like the exact same kind of person I could buy it but I think I'm just so I mean, more often than not like when two people are dating ha having met like on a film set or whatever like 
it does feel super corporate so I don't yeah I don't yeah. know I don't I don't know about that one Jennifer being back together is fun uh oh I love that one but fun and Jennifer Lopez has never looked hotter than anyone in the history of time or no one has ever looked hotter in the history of time than Jennifer Lopez does I 100 percent agree and special props must be paid she got Ben whipped into shape within like four months time. Like he looks she the did. best he has in years. Like yeah. the glow is real. Um, yeah. Phoenix tattoo, notwithstanding. Right. <laughs> At uh, least she's probably booked him like 11 different laser appointments to get that thing scrubbed off. <laughs> like She's like taking the steel wool herself. Like the couple recently I'm really enjoying too is um Channing Tatum and Zoe oh, Kravitz. Zoe? Yeah. yeah. That's also Which... technically a movie. I don't know if it's, it, it feels a little PR because they met on the set of like her directorial debut, I guess. Like he's starring in it. Oh, I but that, that. I do like that couple though. I feel like they could be a good fit for each other. They're yeah. both very good looking. And Channing Tatum, even though he plays Meatheads, like he's very charismatic. Oh, I, I think I've he's a great him. movie star. Um, yeah. He's so, those, um, both of those 21 Jump Street movies and the, what's that Coen Brothers movie called? Um, Hail Caesar. Have you seen Hail Caesar? Yes, Hail Caesar. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. so good in Hail Caesar. He like completely steals the show as, as like the, doing the gay sailor number it's so yeah. funny he can really dance I yeah mean, he came up and step up so you know he can actually yeah put, I, to, put a couple moves together I would definitely love I mean I guess we're in like the golden age of whatever this new Hollywood mu- movie musical reboot is but I would is it really, really love... a golden age though or are we just reshooting well, look, I can't speak to the quality of it but there are just so many coming out right now between In the Heights and West Side Story um and let's not forget about the prom by oh, the, I, we can't speak about the prom on this <clears throat> Dear Evan Hansen's also coming out too in like a week or two which I I am afraid of but um and I guess is isn't that a net movie also a musical mm-hmm. Yes. Um, yeah. yeah. I haven't seen that one yet, but I really want to. It's yeah. Yeah. No, there's a lot for sure. But I get Channing into one of those. Yes. Yeah. Can he sing? I mean, can can half can of these people sing? sing? Yeah. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like, I mean, if Russell Crowe could be in Les Miserables, I'm, sure I'm not anything is possible. And like strike me down for saying this. I'm not convinced Nicole Kidman can sing. Like I Ooh, gasp. Well, I've seen Mulan Rouge. She's obviously next level in that but yeah. like she's not a powerhouse vocalist and the only clip I've seen from the prom is her doing whatever her like number <laughs> is it does not strike me she it's not her calling let's just put it that way sure yeah, yeah. I actually recently tried to rewatch Moulin Rouge for the first time since the 2000s and that movie is so manic yeah I, it is very manic and it was actually very difficult to sit through. I, I didn't get through it all the way. Um, it, it's a sensory overload. It very much is. It's just Baz Luhrmann, maximalist aesthetic, you know, yeah. dialed up to 11. And adding a musical on top of that. Like, I think his, I like Moulin Rouge a lot, but like movies like, um, 
like I think his Romeo and Juliet adaptation is yes. unbelievable and works really well because it's it's sort of a music video without being an actual musical like Mm-hmm. And I think um I really like his great Gatsby adaptation too, I love actually. His Gatsby. For, yeah, it's yeah, it's Gatsby good. I think that's fantastic. gonna have a critical reassessment, like because the tenure that's coming up in two years, I think, which is really mm-hmm. crazy to think about. Um yeah. and that's a way better movie than I think it got pressed at the time. But like those do the maximalism well because they have like existing stories to anchor it. And like Moulin yes. Rouge is I think it's the story is really well done, but it's just a lot to there's a lot of style on top lot. of this. Yeah. Constantly. Yeah. yeah. But and of her... course, you can't forget about the throuple of Taika Waititi, Tessa Thompson, and Rita Ora. Oh, of course. We celebrity. have to. The ultimate chaos coupling. I adore them. I'm obviously on record on this podcast as being like a ginormous Rita Ora fan. So this is a. Um, a beautiful union. There was some rumor today that I can't remember. I think Daily Mail was saying that they're actually going to get married soon or get engaged soon. Taika and I, Tessa? No, Taika and Rita. What? I thought Taika was going with Tessa. Ty, or Tessa, I think, is just kind of like the third, the, third. the chaotic third. Not, and oh I don't think God. that's an official oh relationship, God. but Rita, like, threw Taika's birthday party last month at, um, Oh, what what's that hotel? Oh, yes, Montreal, the Montreal. Right. They are Instagram official and everything. Oh my god. Yeah, she showed up with him to the premiere of um Suicide Squad. Like they're oh, like red carpet official and they're, everything. They're together which is crazy. now. Oh, could you imagine having Tessa Thompson as your third? Mind? I know. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> it's so crazy. Like I but I love it. It it feels um it's the exact kind of like super random but super fun celebrity couple that I love. And like Rita is notoriously like so much fun to hang out with. Like she used to party with Prince Harry back in the day before. Of course. So like, I want to party with Rita. I get wow, it. Wow, that's put amazing. It, but yeah. <clears throat> I don't know if you have heard about this rumor that Eartha Kitt once was in a threesome with Paul Newman and James Dean no way and yeah and that 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 is that is the story whether it's apocryphal or not uh is up to you know eartha kit and to to uh confirm or deny for us but uh this feels equivalent to that is what i'm saying i i'll i'm not gonna say that rita aura is our generation's eartha kit by any means (laughs) i do i do really i love that for eartha kit eartha kit truly an icon and um i think paul newman specifically is one of like the five hottest people who has ever lived oh unbelievably hot guy the hustler yeah dirty white t-shirt oh my god top five so hot looks ever yeah. I, over quarantine, I rewatched um, Cat on a Hot Tin Roof with him and uh-huh. Elizabeth Taylor. And like, yeah, unbelievable. He like, just oozes sexuality. They, they don't make Hollywood hunks like they used to. Mm. They just don't. Okay, oh. wait. So, top five hottest people ever. We have Jennifer Lopez in this current moment of time. We have Paul Newman Paul in the 1960s. <laughs> Who are the other three? Oh, God. I would have to, I'd have to actually write a list down here. Like, Montgomery Clift oh, yeah. at his prime is probably on this list. Up there too. He's my yeah, I was just thinking months. about him yesterday because um he's probably my favorite actor. Definitely in my old, top 
like of all time age, i think he's of all the, time yeah he's a wonderful performer and actor and i was thinking about him yesterday because my number two or number three probably number two my number two favorite actor just died yesterday jean paul belmondo oh. oh um yeah it's been a weird week for celebrity deaths actually because michael yeah, we're recording michael, this i thought you were michael talking k. about michael k williams who i yeah. also love and is iconic and then um sarah harding from girls aloud that mm. british girl group which is my favorite girl group she just died of cancer over the weekend too so it's been mm. a really like crazy yeah. crazy day a few days for celebrity deaths um my number three though is tony leung oh yeah yeah who's oh, unbelievable i haven't seen shang chi yet well, like, yeah oh, yeah yeah but all right, I think we got to move on to our first yes. segment. So we're going to play Go Call the Governor. I am going to present you with three cultural scenarios from recent and or ancient history. And by ancient history, I mean like two weeks ago. And you're going to decide whether or not the governor needs to be called. So there are no wrong answers, but your choice is binary. Does the governor need to be called or not? Okay. All right. Okay. Awesome. Scenario number one, and a scenario you are uniquely qualified to talk about, the Jeopardy hosting fiasco. Does the governor need to be called? Oh, the governor, the governor needed to be called six months ago. On yeah. Jeopardy hosting fiasco. Yes. At first, I was not very invested in this as someone in the Jeopardy community. I was like, you know, whoever they pick, like they'll pick, and this is gonna be a very controversial statement, but it's not a difficult job, guys. Like yeah. you you literally show up two days in a week, every other week and read cards off of a prompter. Oh no, not even off a prompter. You, you read questions off of cards in front of you. You interview some contestants. It's objectively not a difficult job. So when this whole brouhaha was going down about who it was gonna be, the thinking was just whoever they pick is going to be fine, you know, as long as they're charismatic and they can read and they <laughs> are literate, yeah. it'll be fine. But then, of course, the entire Mike Richards thing um, came to light and and the whole controversy surrounding that and, and the governor needed to be called uh, months ago. Yeah, I... I fully agree. I actually really like the um, kind of rotational guest host kind of style thing they were doing with it, actually. Like, I I think that's a good way to get, like, fresh blood in there and get, like, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's, Jeopardy does not any issue or doesn't have any issues with, like, ratings and stuff. Like, you can pretty right. much, like, you can't put basically anyone in there as long as they're somewhat charismatic. And yeah, and they literate, read, as and you that's, said. That's it. They're just literate yeah. and they're charismatic and anyone can do the job, truly. So like uh, the idea of having a bunch of people go in for like a week or two weeks to just guest host, I think that's a good way to do it, actually. And like gets a little variety, gets some diversity into the hosting panel. But like the fact that the guy or that Mike Richards basically gave himself the job and did not scrub any of his problematic podcast shit right. off the interwebs is uh, bananas to me. In 2021, like you need to like 
know to do that. You need to, you need to vet your own self if you're going to give yourself the job. You need to call um, because Claire McNear, who is a fantastic journalist, oh, yeah. is absolutely going to go through that and find it. Um, and, and even not even just like the podcast comments, but his history at The Price is Right and uh, sexual harassment uh, or discrimination allegations and all yeah. that, you know, all of that's going to come to light. I'm surprised too that um, Mayim Bialik still has the job as whatever this like digital show and like primetime version of it, like her, cause she's an anti-vaxxer, like a full, full, full anti-vaxxer. So like, which obviously is not the look right now necessarily. Mm-mm, so mm-mm. No. I, and she's been like banging that drum for 10 years now. So I, I get that she's the one of the stars of like the most popular sitcom of the past 15 years like but not yeah I don't know weird yeah uh, and and Jeopardy has a weird relationship with I don't know the Big Bang franchise and that they're always trying to promote young Sheldon and tell us to watch young Sheldon um through the clues itself but yeah, she she is definitely an interesting pick who I don't know if she's going to stick around. I mean, there are people who have openly asked for the job, like LeVar Burton yeah. and Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> and those would be, the if they were going to go for a permanent host, I think for me, I thought Aaron Rodgers actually did the best out of the people that they auditioned. Mm-hmm. I liked LeVar a lot too, but I think, I don't know, there was something, I think Aaron Rodgers is pretty well suited for that job, actually, like. Yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens. I mean, ultimately, whoever they pick as the perm host is going to be, you know, the quote-unquote face of Jeopardy yeah. uh, going forward. So I, I, I know there's a lot that they're thinking about in terms of their demographics and who they're trying to appeal to in terms of choosing that next face of jeopardy and i didn't know about all the mike richards controversy when it first got announced but when oh, he yeah. got announced i remember thinking it was like oh he's just like another chris harrison like nice jawline got the uh just plain kind of appeals to the midwestern mom kind of thing going on and then of course everything came to light. like every uh, subsequent piece of information you learned about that guy was like <laughs> oh it, at first it's like who is this and then it's like oh like he's the producer of the show already and he's this bad guy from The Price is Right. And he said some crazy racist things on a podcast. Like, I, I just, it is. And um, then I was like, oh, he really is like Chris Harrison. Yeah. <laughs> you know, taking the same exit out. <laughs> it just sucks that they like, because we're both like, I mean, you've been on it, but like, we're both like ginormous Jeopardy fans. And I feel like the show really tarnished a legacy pretty almost immediately. <laughs> like, this was a fiasco. This of was the a, highest yeah, order. A, a huge fiasco. I mean, I remember when the news broke, when Claire McNear's Ringer article broke, thinking no one knows about, only, you know, people in my circle and like the Jeopardy community actually care. But it was, you know, trending the number one story yeah. on the New York Times. I mean, people have really been following this saga uh, and, and where they go next. I mean, hopefully they've learned their lesson at this point. I hope so too. I mean, I- at the very least, there's nowhere else to go but up from here. Like, I don't know. You think? Well, I don't know how, like, who could they cast? Like, I mean, they could, like, Kanye could be the next host, and then people would be like, <laughs> ah, but like, I don't, I don't know. I, they have a, a good pool of candidates right now. Like, they just gotta, they just gotta do it. So, all right, let's move on to scenario number two. 
yes. impossible burgers does the governor need to be called no impossible burgers they're doing well for themselves they are um you know uh beyond meat type substitute and yeah i have i have no issue with impossible burgers the governor does not need to be called are they going to go public soon one of these beyond or impossible, i think beyond just like public oh beyond yeah. IPO. good for them i feel like yeah. impossible is like the slightly classier almost version of beyond like mm. i know i mean beyond you can buy beyond meat tacos at del taco now which to me is that's about as mass market as you can get. Like, I feel like yeah. Impossible Burgers, I'm still like having to go to like Monty's or, you know, right. other like yeah. more uh, slightly like high end <laughs> burger chains. And stuff. For the Impossible Burger. I The more competitors there are in the meat substitute arena, the, the better it is for planet Earth. So I'm all on board. I don't eat them personally, but oh, I'm really? glad they exist. Yeah. I, I'm usually pretty squeamish about like plant-based meats for whatever reason. It's just like a textural thing, which is such sure. like a picky eater, like kiddie thing to say, but like chicken, like, you know, <laughs> like I don't know how to say that normally. Chicken um, to me tastes like pencil erasers, like, and I would love- I did not spend enough time eating pencil eraser as a Yeah, trip, I was so constantly I, uh... chewing. So, um, but the the Impossible Burger fa- or craze, I really do enjoy actually. Like, though I think we are spoiled being like formerly or currently located in the LA area. Like there are a lot mm-hmm. of actual good options to capitalize on the trend there. Like, yeah, I'm sure it's different- um, for a lot of other places who might not necessarily like have the same like devotion to plant-based cooking that a lot of Angelinos seem to have so yeah good and, and good for all of the I you know I remember a couple of years ago I was having a discussion with someone about how we were, we were all like judging Thomas Jefferson you know when Hamilton came out for owning slaves and someone was like right. can you really can you really like hold someone to standards 200 years later? And the answer is yes, of course. Well, it was wrong they're, back they're, then. Yes, it was what? wrong back then. It's also, yes. it's also wrong, period. But their their analogy was, you know, in 200 years, uh, vegetarianism is probably going to be the standard and they'll probably judge you for eating meat. Uh, would you be okay with these people in 200 years judging you for eating meat when you had alternatives? And I'm like, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> yes. No, I guess you know, it's I, like... I chose the morally unethical route here. I knowingly did so. Uh, I am now publicly putting it out on a podcast in 200 <laughs> years. If you want to cancel me for not being a vegetarian in 2021. In, in 20 years, Claire right McNear is going to resurface this podcast <laughs> episode right here. And uh, the ringer is going to get your ass. So Yeah, I won't be able to be the host of the show because I chose not to eat Impossible Burger when I very much had the option to do so. All right, let's move on to the final scenario. Miles Teller gets Paramount Studios shut down for being an anti-vaxxer. Does the governor need to be called? The governor always needs to be called when Miles Teller is involved. Mm-hmm. But the the movie getting shut down, you know, it's it yes, okay, yes. The governor needs to be called. It's a binary, it's a binary choice. The governor needs to be called. Miles Teller is. I don't know how he is still a working actor with a career in the age of. Uh, I I don't either. You know, I, I I just don't understand when people have openly said how much of a douchebag he is to work with. 
Yes, I, I, a pivotal moment in Crisis Twink history was, um, I think, 15 episodes ago when friend of the pod Basil Seif openly called for Miles Teller's head on this podcast, the most violent and aggressive this podcast has ever been, and I do not support or condone the words of my guests necessarily, but like he does have an extremely punchable face, and I think we were talking about him because his wedding planner hired some goons to literally beat him up in Hawaii. And mind you, this was like three months ago. Who is he marrying? Who's agreed to marry him? What? He's married to Kelly Sperry, who is the heiress to the top side or the Sperry topsider fortune. Oh, so he literally her. married into the Bochu empire. <laughs> I cannot think of like a more douchey thing in the world. Like it's oh, unbelievable. Truly. Yeah. Um, He's also not that exceptional of an actor. No, not at all. Yeah. Like between Miles Teller and Ansel Elgort, pick Ansel Elgort. I don't know. And, and, and now even we all have he, to memorize Ansel Elgort's name. Yeah. And even Ansel, I mean, El, Ansel Elgort has like abuse allegations against him too. Like that like oh. generation of the, or those two, I guess, like, I guess, I always, um, if those two are dichotomy, like to me, they I always mix those two up. And then Lucas Hedges and Timothy Chalamet are the other two. I would rather mm-hmm. go like Lucas and Timothy any day over. Right. Uh, Timothy Chalamet, our favorite crisis twink. Uh, versus... The ultimate crisis. T- <laughs> <laughs> our favorite straight twink. Um, our little prince. Um, yes. What really got me about the Miles Teller stuff, though, is that not only did he not get vaccinated, but he refused, allegedly, this is all allegedly, he refused to comply with the mandatory, like, twice a day testing. So he just, like, endangered everyone in twofold ways. And then, yeah, like, and then, of course, got COVID. Yeah. I'm definitely, like, reading all the reports about this, I'm certain that, like, the studio is the one who's leaking all this information. Just... Because they just, they just want him off of it. And yeah, I, th- I think... Outrage. And mind you, he, the only reason he's doing the show in the first place is because he um, replaced Army Hammer. Oh, yes! I was just Which... going to bring up Army Hammer as also being in this class of actors of... of terrible man. they just gotta shut down whatever movie this is at this point <laughs> like it's cursed yes. like yeah we don't want it i think it's about the making of the godfather too which i don't think like I, who asked so, for that no yes it's like the same people who want like the sopranos prequel which i hear is actually supposed to be pretty good but I, uh, that <laughs> seems interesting enough to me if only because the cast is so crazy like I didn't know that like Leslie Odom Jr. talk about Hamilton Leslie Odom Jr. is also in this I was like oh like okay so they got some like big names to do it not just like random people yeah and I think Gandolfini's son is playing yeah. his father which is which will wild. be interesting yeah. um I'm ex- I mean I love The Sopranos so like I will be seeing this for sure mm-hmm. um and I, if like, I do trust like the creators and the writers to like do justice to the material considering it's just like an extension of the story that they already crafted, but yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I would rather watch that though than like, here's how the Godfather was made. I feel like I could read about that pretty easily and like get the same. 
and more people you know, should be I, reading anyway. So. I might have to walk back my previous line about Zendaya and Tom Holland because comparatively speaking, Tom Holland is so innocuous compared to Miles Teller and Ansel Elgore in Army Hammer. And oh, yeah. This like, grouping of men. Uh, he's that, he's know, just like generic Marvel. Yeah. It could yeah. be worse. He's just like some like earnest, bland theater kid. Yes, and that's fine. Exactly. Yeah. Most, most, I feel like theater girls date earnest, bland theater boys. So like, and, and that way, like, it's it's what like God wants. So. Yeah, you know, Zac Efron, Zendaya in The Greatest Showman. Um, oh yeah. Charted number one. Did, uh, was it was it that song that that hit number one on the Billboard or was it? No, I think um, it was um. This is me. This is me. Yeah. Uh, this is me. Um. But th- they they. They sold a really bad song in that movie. I think that I do find myself having a lot. But all right, I think we need to take a quick break. Um, but we will be right back. And we're back. Let's move on to this episode's cultural emergency. Lynn, what are you rushing to the ER today? We are rushing the perennial emergency of our times, which is Kanye West's latest album called Donda, named after his late mother, Donda. We are biting off a lot today. <laughs> this is a big so topic. much. This, yeah, I, I, and I, to all my listeners, I have to apologize to our host for making him sit through a 27 track album unnecessarily long album in order to talk about it on today's show i will i will do it i mean we can get in where like kanye histories i guess but like i have historically really loved kanye west and his music i do think he is a genius and i would say that even in this second i'm saying that still holds true even though the past five years have been just like a relentless stream of like provocations, like far right dalliances, um, like all this stuff with the like abusers like getting platformed on his albums mm-hmm. and like even just in his like stage shows, um, and the work's been pretty bad. Not the bad. The work has just been subpar. Sub- yeah, yeah, subpar. I think there are flashes of. Mm-hmm. of good things on most of his post life of pablo outlook and we'll get into like donda proper but like yeah it's been a tough half decade considering the highs are so high with him well you know what's actually funny so if if you listeners recall back in 2018 he was hyping up the release of his next album and in a bipolar manic fit two weeks before the album was supposed to be released he scraps everything and produces an entirely new thing uh and what came out was the seven track album that was yay and it sounded better than it had any right to sound for something that was put together in two weeks and i actually liked yay a lot even though most people didn't uh, part of the reason why was because it was seven tracks long yeah. and, you know, a short, very succinct, concise thing. And I thought it was Kanye doing stupid Kanye at his best, which he does have a lot of like really dumb bars, but sometimes it's just, you know, it's stupid and he's self-aware about it and it's really fun. But in 
Donda, he really veered into the other direction of not editing himself at all and giving us 27 tracks of unnecessary yeah. garbage. Like, I, I think um, Ye and The Life of Pablo were kind of the first two works in this new era where he's like constantly tinkering with stuff and like he's always been really hyper perfectionist about his work but like I mean the life of Pablo he was like removing tracks and like uploading new versions of things after it was already out on streaming and that album I thought was too long too because like, I think though that Donda makes that look like an EP though I think that's only like 15 tracks which honestly by like later day Kanye standpoint is pretty manageable oh nope I lied the life of Pablo is 20 tracks okay so that's life pretty of Pablo, yeah crazy. And life of Pablo which I actually I actually have enjoyed everything up through the life of Pablo me too uh, but even that is it's very bloated in the middle Pablo starts with bangers and it ends with bangers and there's a lot in the middle that could have yeah been I'm not um I'm not a huge fan of his more well, I guess what he would call his more like gospel leanings. I don't necessarily mm-hmm. know if like, like I like Jesus is King is an album that I truly cannot hum a song off of with the gun <laughs> in my head. Like it's, it's his most inessential work to me. And it's crazy that that, came, that album came out like, I think two years ago at this point. Two years like, ago. I, there's one song off of that that I actually really like called Use This Gospel featuring a great sax riff by Kenny G. Mm-hmm. I think it actually charted or something. And there's some trivia about how Kenny G has had a billboard charting single in every single decade for the last, I don't know, four to five decades because he was featured on Use This Gospel. But it's he's really been pushing this this uh organ trap beat meets organ choir yeah. sound since yay and bleeding into jesus king and now into donda as well that you know we get it kanye you really love god uh <laughs> you you really follow him um you also really feel like he If you listen to Kanye, what you'll learn is no one has ever been persecuted more in the history of the world than Jesus Christ and Kanye West. Those are the two most persecuted individuals the world has ever seen. He did, I mean, quite literally conflate himself with Jesus on Yeezus, which I think is his best album still. Yes, Yeezus is so good. Yeah. It's unbelievable. And like you can, Kanye's always been super provocative, both musical, like from a lyrical standpoint, a production standpoint, and like obviously the public persona has been pretty like outrageous. I mean, we just passed um, the 10 year anniversary of uh, the Taylor Swift VMA crash. Oh, yes. And yes. then I, in the end, I like my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasies 10 year was last year. So like mm-hmm. that was like kind of peak, like, I thought that was as outrageous as he was going to get. Oh no! He was no. <laughs> um. So, well, what's your, what's your favorite Kanye album in general? I mean, it has to be my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy. Yeah. It's a perfect album. I actually re-listened to it recently from top to bottom, and it's it's not only is it a perfect album, it is also arguably like one of the most influential and essential albums of the twenty first century. Oh, I, I think you can alone. make an extremely strong argument that that's the case. Yeah. 
that yeah. work alone, you know, puts him in the conversation of go artists of our times. Uh, and I, I, you know, Jesus is definitely up there. I think Jesus might be my number two. I think, yeah, I would swap Jesus and my beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy out of one and two. And I think the third 10 out of 10 album that he's made is Graduation, which I Ooh. love. And is weirdly, I think a great. little underrated almost. I agree. I actually love College Dropout because you go back to the beginning and all these essential hits yeah. first. But gra- I mean, honestly, he doesn't, he doesn't have like until 2018, he doesn't have a miss. He has College Dropout, which is his debut in 2004. Yeah. It's an absolute banger. Late Registration comes out in 2005. Also great. Graduation in 2007. Fantastic album. 808s and Heartbreak in 2008, you know, he's starting to experiment and yeah. getting into more of the dark, like, trappy stuff. Um, also bangers off of that. And then he, what, what is his fifth album, My Beautiful Dark Twisted Fantasy 2010, is a perfect fucking album yeah. and kind of cements his genius status. And then we have the experimentation with Jesus in 2013. Life of Pablo gets kind of weird, but there's still a lot of great tracks off there's, of that. And Life of Pablo is when like Yeezus and 808s start to like hybridize almost. Mm-hmm. Like that, yeah. like the sound that like my beautiful dark twisted fantasy is like kind of an extension of the um the like th- initial trilogy basically that through like from college dropout through graduation. Like that sounds very similar, but like yeah, there's a lot more experimentation and like haziness um, to Life of Pablo. And there aren't that many like, I guess, hits necessarily. Like that's such a weird, if you, like Kanye feels like post hit in a lot of ways. Like, I don't know how to actually like quantify. Oh, and, and we can't music. forget about Watch the Throne. Oh that's yeah, I was going to bring that up. It has to be in the top three albums. That just so, came out. Like, 10 years ago this or like this past month and I recently re-listened to it like upon that anniversary or whatever that album holds up tremendously it's like, so good uh, almost every track off the album is a banger and it continues to be exactly and it's it's the rare rap album I think from the past decade that actively aspires to generate hits like yeah. I think the streaming economy has made it such that it's it's super easy to game the system when you're a rapper at a certain commercial tier to release like two projects a year that have like 20 tracks on them like mm-hmm. to like game this the streaming system in a way that like you can actually make you know viable income off of just that revenue stream proper and then you're not just relying on like touring or anything else so because like a and lot of rappers these days are not of going stadium tours, Drake, yeah. You know, uh, with Certified Lover Boy, yeah. Is... And he's weird too because like he used to do that a lot more often, and now like his last album was three years ago at this point. But was like Scorpion, Scorpion, which yeah. is an equally bl- like so I listened to Certified Lover Boy in advance of this too, and barely got through it. Like oh, I I stopped after the third track. It yeah. Is... It's, I mean, everything sounds the same. I don't know if Drake writes his own music anymore or something. I don't anymore. care about that as much. I just wish it sounded, like, even on Scorpion, though, he was trying to get some hits and stuff. Like, Nice For What is an incredible Oh, Nice For What is probably his song. best. Yeah. Yeah, from the recent era and stuff. Like, In My Feelings, great. But, like, nothing off of this project is gonna 
be as like ubiquitous like song of the summary as anything from his like earlier stuff even like I mean we can I guess we can start talking about Donda but like even Kanye has tried to make like hits I think more recently than Drake has like yeah I I'm looking at the certified lover boy track list right now and it is I don't think I saw anything on the Spotify over the weekend that was trending from from this album you know I can't name a yeah thing. I mean I did enjoy girls like girls want girls because of the lesbian line yeah Twitter kind of lost itself <laughs> over that line um which is just Drake's way of saying like women are hot everyone wants them yes we know um but even but, that like it's a fun moment in like one of the more fun songs on the album but it doesn't sound like a like an immediate hit like I think it's going to chart pretty highly or whatever but like I don't know if it's going to have the like cultural staying power that I, it's the thing about like Drake songs are that I feel like most of them blend and are not that memorable but he always writes like one or two lines that become very yeah. Instagram caption worthy and as a result you know like like God's plan if you listen it's like very repetitive it's not the best song but there's that one line about you know um loving your mama like I only said uh, she said do you love me I told her only partly I only love yeah. my bed and my mom I'm sorry you know that's it and that, that, that's the whole song right um, and that's what people remember it for and I feel like girls want girls is definitely going to get co-opted by sapphics everywhere and you'll just see that Instagram <laughs> question you caption you know she said I'm a lesbian girl me too um <laughs> there I, I think there are definitely more moments on Donda Mm-hmm. for sure so I we haven't even really talked about like what did you think of it it's very okay so Donda is very disorganized very confused which I feel like does kind of go towards his feelings around his mother and his the death of his mother because he uses his mother on this album in a way that feels very confused and confusing. Um, But I feel like the, you know, you have the themes about God and the one track that is actually kind of woke off of this album is Jesus Lord in which he's talking about black incarceration. Um, You have some tracks that are trying to harken back to old Kanye, believe what I say, in which he samples Lauryn Hill. Um, and then you, you of course, also have, you know, the organ choir church thing going with something like jail. But overall, it's just, it's very bloated. It's very confused. Um, you know, he's angry about the, how the world treats Black men, justifiably, um, how women treat him. I was so angry about women. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, on, on jail which the first part he features Jay-Z in which he says, you know, this might be the return of the throne, which is like, I'm sorry, honey, this is not, no. Uh, uh, But then the second part, jail part two features the baby and Marilyn Manson, who are both two recently canceled figures. So it's very much Kanye purposely trying to prod or provoke that fire that flames around him. Right. I, the bloat is like i think this album's cardinal sin for sure even more so well the provocation like and the abuser platform because like chris brown is also on a track on this album yes. too like, and he was on a track on pablo as well he was on yeah on pablo 
there's just no reason um there's no for any of that to happen there's just nothing and like during we were talking offline about like the um donda event he did at soldier field in chicago where he brought out the baby and marilyn manson on stage with him and that it's just hard not to see that as like a deliberate fuck you yeah to like just victims in general i understand i think like a big prevalent theme of this album is like salvation and like atonement like Mm -hmm. and how frustrating both of those like processes are and i think that's a theme that's really cool to be explored and like something he's done on his other work to like i think a slightly better success than here but like to use those three abusers as like examples and offering them like quote-unquote redemption just by like these features and stuff is not a i mean not the way to like explore those themes in a way that's like yeah it's not nuanced it's purely it's not it's not honest either no like um he's all about you know his persecution in the media and and how it's been unfair and i'm you know, some of it has been, but a lot of it has been justified as well. Um, and even if you trace back to Yeezus, one of my favorite tracks of his of all time, and probably one of the greatest beats he's done is Blood on the Leaves, yeah. which samples yeah. um, Billie Holiday, Nina Simone's um, Strange Fruit, which is about, you know, Black bodies being lynched in the South, and which Billie Holiday was persecuted for singing that song yeah he then takes that sample or nina simone's cover of it and uses it on a song in which he's basically talking about how the media is you know lynching him and how these women are you know creating this noose around him and it's like that is not the same thing it's not the same thing but it's sort of like i think that's one of his best provocations just because it is musically worthwhile and does like at like it's audacious what he is saying like the parallels he's drawing is not maybe it's it's not a perfect parallel by any means and maybe it's i mean it's probably a little offensive but it's yeah it works very well and like it's it is it is provocative genius in a way that this donda does not quite get mostly the my problem so by and large i think donda is better than i was expecting it to be really given like all the brouhaha surrounding this like Mm -hmm. the problems mostly for me are it's way too fucking long like i think Mm -hmm. i would be happy if you cut off from donda chant to believe what I say, I th- and then put Jesus Lord at the end. I think that's the album right there. Yeah, I agree. I, none of the part twos, I feel like all the part two tracks were basically his inability to choose between which one exactly. is the better version. Let me throw both of them on this album. It's like, you don't, we don't need any of this. Like I get think, rid of all of the part twos. Yeah. there's a lot of production bloat on here too like I had the same problem with Life of Pablo too like I don't think he works very well with these kind of hazy amorphous beats that really popped up in like this might be reductible like kind of like the post future like future the rapper Mm, not like future the word yeah um totally genre shift 
like he's so much better over these big brassy bombastic beats yeah like from his earlier career and the best songs on life of pablo are like that too and part of the reason that yay and um jesus king don't work almost at all to me is because the beats are just so limp they are yeah no that's true i recently re-listened to all of the lights which is just great horns great grass and it's exactly what you're saying it's like very celebratory it's big i mean that's why on donda when he when he samples lauren hill on believe what i say I yeah was like oh here we go it's like you know this is the kanye we know like sampling <laughs> like a it's old kanye <laughs> yeah like and, and he's self-aware about that on pablo when he has that track i miss the old kanye yeah. you know cut up the beats kanye um, well i do like his his more industrial experimentation i think is really cool too i think those songs that work the best on here like jail and hurricane and yes. off the grid um work so well because they are like they're kind of the yeezus ish beats these mm-hmm. like rap rock hybrids that like sound so energetic and everyone who's featured on these songs who's not Kanye sounds rejuvenated basically yeah like and even jay-z on jail is kind of poking fun at kanye on his yeah <laughs> like i mean it's sort it's like he talks a lot about like all their like red hat stuff and like i was like oh like this album is there's some sort of self-awareness on this even if you're not necessarily looking even if kanye himself is not looking in the mirror necessarily in that regard he's like aware enough to have other people come on and like castigate him basically yeah yeah i actually you know i actually think kanye is uh extremely self-aware yeah but chooses actively chooses to continue to push this provocateur uh image of himself and 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 um you know, he, he'll say things that's like, I don't know that he actually believes that slavery is a choice, but he's out here saying he's, it to I, get I a reaction from people. At, without like armchair psych, or armchair psychologist, is that the word? Without armchair psychologizing yes. too much, I think he has very clearly conflated the ideas of genius and provocateur Mm-hmm. into something that's so like inextricable from each other at this point that it just I feel I don't think you're ever gonna get those compartmentalized ever again right from him. yeah yeah um but I, I do like- think that this is like a work of art though like it's not it's very imperfect and definitely in his like lower tier but like there's so much thought and craft in this that it's kind of a shame it's so bloated and the narratives around it are so. I know it's not the most perfect analogy because Martin Scorsese has said far less inflammatory things and has not come out actively supporting Trump. Uh, But I kind of feel like Kanye is kind of like music's version of Martin Scorsese in that, you know, he was once slotted as this like cinematic great and genius and he's now at a point where he does not need to edit his mood. Like no one has yeah. the power to tell him. So when he puts out The Irishman at three hours and 30 minutes, people are like, oh, Netflix is like, we'll take it. You know, and it's like The Irishman could have lost 45 minutes to an yeah. hour off that movie, an hour at least off that movie. But uh, no one can tell Martin Scorsese to edit anymore. And it's kind of the same with Kanye. Like you can't tell him to get rid of it because he, he's just going to do what he wants. 
And it it just it's a real shame because there is a I think if you narrow this album down to 10 to 12 tracks, you'd have a work that stands up there with some of his best stuff. I, you know, when I, so I had a friend who went to the Atlanta live uh, listening concert. Mm -hmm. And uh, and again, this kind of speaks to Kanye staying power. It's like he sold out stadiums without having an album. And so, I had a friend who was at the Atlanta one, and I think one of the last songs he played at the Atlanta show was Jail, in which, uh, in which Jay-Z says, this might be the return of the throne. And people were like losing it afterwards on Twitter. Um, and Jail comes as the second track on this album, but the first actual musical track. And when I first started listening to this album, I was like, oh, Jail's very reminiscent of you know, my beautiful dark twisted fantasy and like the sound that came out of that. And I was really excited. And then, you know, the rest of the album just, it just goes on for so long. Yeah, it, it, it really does. Though I do think, um, well, I, I'm interested. What do you think of Donda Chant? Because that I think is one of the more divisive moments on the album. It's doesn't have a lot of like I guess like musical replay value necessarily but like I actually think it's weirdly one of the most effective tracks on here (laughs) I actually really enjoy it I enjoy it as like um just sort of an ode to his mother yeah having this person it's yeah we have gone this entire podcast without mentioning that Donda is named after his mother who died in 07 and mm-hmm. I think whose death has basically completely altered the trajectory of his life of his and his like life. musical career. Totally. Um, I do think there's something really like mystical about the repetition in that song. Like it's kind of, I think it's really easy to like take it on the surface as like sort of a joke, like just Donda, 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 right. Donda yeah. for like 52 seconds. But like, in so many world religions, there is power in repetition and incantation. Like, I actually think it does a really effective job of summoning the spirit of his mother in a way that the rest of the album doesn't really do, even though I think, I mean, he's been pretty clear that this is, that's what it's supposed to do. Right. Yeah. And I don't even consider Donda Chant a song, you know, I think it's just an homage and just like a send up or not a send up, but just like a, like a prayer to his mother and, and in honor of his mother. It, it like sets, it sets a palette for what this album probably should have been, I think in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause otherwise there are just a lot of like, it's repetitive thematically. It's sonically repetitive. In, but like yeah that first the first 10 songs I think are like they're, they're really good yeah there's oh, what was that one song I think it was off Pablo or he might have released it as a single where it was like scoop dee dee doop scoop dee dee poop dee dee poop that was and, right before yay came out yeah and it was kind of it might be on yay but it, it was kind of like a and people were like oh he's like really lost it and it's like no that track was actually brilliant like he knows exactly what he's doing he's very self-aware and he's kind of 
lampooning all of us for yeah. you know like he he knows what he's doing it's it, it was the sonic equivalent of him like sticking his tongue out and being like yeah like but yeah. also the beat was sick on that song like the oh, lyrics obviously great. have no value whatsoever but like he he wasn't half-assing the production and weirdly i think this time he like focused Lift too much on the self. lyrics yeah yeah so good <laughs> i don't know i do miss the old kanye it's like annoying to say i just but like i do those albums from like dropout to life of pablo mm-hmm. basically had the perfect mix of like production brilliance and like he's never been an incredible lyricist but like the lyrics were at least like worth pouring over and analyzing in a way that I don't think this work necessarily does yeah what is your favorite do you have like a favorite like stupid bars from uh either this album or any Kanye album because he has a lot of like stupid bars but they're like fun dumb like fun dumb I think his entire verse on monster honestly yes yeah, yeah. That's a good one. yeah um the entire perfect fun dumb perfect fun dumb and I don't think there's a single lyric on this album that really really stuck around for me like I'll probably I'll have to listen to it again just because it's so much of an undertaking that like it's like if I had literally been taking notes I probably would not have internalized a lot of the lyrics on this album there's a there's a great bar well this is this is probably my favorite fun dumb one off lord i need you which is apparently supposed to be about kim kardashian yeah um but he has uh we used to do the freak like seven days a week it's the best collab since taco bell and kfc oh my god um, yes that, that is, is dumb like, bars it's so dumb it's so dumb and oh then my he god. also like questions her he's like three hours to get back from palm springs huh uh, who you know spent an hour in Walgreens, huh? And I'm like, it does take three hours to get back from Palm Springs sometimes in traffic, so like, calm down. Oh my uh, god, <laughs> it, that's so crazy. Like, I like they're they are like fun, dumb. He like he loves doing little punchlines and stuff. But like, if this album sounded a little bit more joyous or like celebratory of, like, I get that he's in a very tough, frustrating place right now between like mental illness and the divorce and all these other things but like I don't know there's just such a gap between the sonics and the lyrics yeah when he tries to to, go more joyous yeah yeah. to all our listeners this is not to excuse his immense assholery and uh pretty inexcusable behavior over the last four years um both things can be true at once that he is both a musical genius and also a flagrant douchebag uh and it, it yeah no it's really depressing to to kind of see that transpire over the last four years and see the directions he's veered into and, and gone into and now he's a billionaire apparently um but yeah and again so is rihanna so bless 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 that. bless out all right well i think we have to move on to our final segment Ooh. so we're gonna play tear the community apart I love doing that. Good. Okay, then you'll as love this chaos, As a chaos twink, you know, I love to tear the community apart. Uh. <laughs> All right, well, the rules of this are pretty simple. I have picked two songs, and you are going to tell me which one is better. Ooh, okay. Easy. Hmm. 
Maybe. So this week, I've picked two songs that both went to the number one spot on the Billboard Hot 100 this year in 2021. Okay. Okay. From artists who are really pushing boundaries within the rap pop field and are already in a very short period of time have both become modern icons. So... Lil Which Nas song X. is Mon- <laughs> okay? Okay, yep. Well, one of them is Montero Call Me By Your Name by uh-huh. Lil Nas X, and the other is Up by Cardi B. Which song is better? Up was this year, yeah, it was last year. Um, okay, <sighs> this is hard. So, in terms of what song is more important to the culture, Montero, Call Me By Your Name, mm-hmm. absolutely is, just because we have never seen someone who is so openly gay do their thing on a number one billboard track yeah. on this scale at this level before. It is impossibly cool that the biggest male pop star in the country right now is a Black gay guy. Is a black gay man, and yeah. and even recently on Industry Baby with Jack Harlow, that music video where he's in the shower and they're all naked and dancing. Yeah. It's, I mean, we actually, I think I was having this discussion with you a couple months ago. Um, what other like major Billboard number one hits have there ever been where? the lyrics are explicitly same sex where it's like a love song and it's explicitly same sex um and even you know sam smith who's been around for a while their songs are not explicitly same sex Mm -hmm. i I don't think stay with me stay with me was very vague and yeah um that said all of this prefacing my decision here i do think just like purely musically like sonically i i do enjoy up more as a song I think I agree with you. Up is a banger. It is so fun. Uh, Cardi's doing her thing where she's just being naughty and, uh, you know, raunchy and horny. And it's great lyricism from Cardi. Um, Montero as a song is almost forgettable in some ways. Yeah, there's something a little flimsy about it. Like it's catchy and the... It's it's well produced, um, but that's a, the video and the discourse around that song like really like took it to the next level. Yeah, yeah. I the other thing I will say, I mean, but Curdy has been doing this for a while. Is how, especially with WAP, how she's just so willing to be in your face about like, yes, I am, you know, a thick woman who has sex, and yeah. let me talk very explicitly about sex and up is just a continuation of of that trend yeah um but yeah i i think i think up is the better song honestly but you know call me by your name or montero is is uh in probably the more culturally important song yeah definitely definitely one of the more like instantly impactful cultural moments of the year for sure like I I think when like the 2021 highlight reels and like YouTube edits are made the Montero video is going to be pretty high up there it has to be yeah yeah though I do want to give a special shout the up video is really good too actually 
Cardi's yeah. really good at a music video because I mean the WAP video is like kind of messy, but it's really good still. It's so fun. She's and fun. She's her, great. We have so her many. Megan good... Stallion, Saweetie, they've really like cornered that oh, market. Yeah. yeah. I mean, even like, I mean, Do- I love Doja Cat. We, on this podcast, we also love Azalea Banks too. Like we have, we're in a golden, <laughs> we're in a golden age of, I mean, just okay, to have like, like all- crazy though. Yeah. The, well, I've said it before and I've said it again, the official party line of Crisis Twink is um, when Azalea Banks is right, she is extremely right. And when she is wrong, no one on earth has ever been more wrong. So like, <laughs> But she is a musical genius, and her um her most recent song "Fuck 'Em All Night," which is about Kanye, <laughs> um, is one of 2021's best songs so far. Oh, like, okay. I'm gonna have to go listen to that. Yes, right you now you absolutely must. It's so yeah. good. But like yeah. to live in an age where there are all these like femme and queer rappers like doing incredible work at once, and like managing to have commercially successful careers that they deserve on top of it it's it's incredible like I mean I remember like even what would f- f- five to ten years ago like there was really only space for like on like rap radio and streaming for like one Nicki Minaj you know or like right. one yeah. Missy Elliott mm-hmm. one little mm-hmm. Kim at a time like there yeah. wasn't enough um bandwidth and I do think one of the nice things about the streaming era is that there's a little bit more wiggle room for people from like more like marginalized communities within their genre to actually like carve out space for themselves yeah so on a different podcast we'll have to discuss the rise of like the white boy rapper again because we're seeing a lot of those we're in a a renaissance (laughs) if you can call it that the kid Leroy, we have jack harlow we have nf uh oh yeah i yeah 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 and i actually like a lot of his stuff um I guess Machine Gun Kelly, you could kind of throw in there. No, he's really. like pivoted away. We've talked he's, about him yeah, on the H-pop. pod before. He's like now, yeah. he's at the the pop punk revival is also another big like musical trend of 2021. And he's like almost at the forefront of that. Oh, I, I would absolutely agree. And yeah. like Halsey just put out an album that was attempting to do that. And I don't think succeeds in. Oh, I see. I like encapsulating that. that sound. Yeah, <laughs> I, I like she at least she like she has a very authentic background in pop punk though like she's been doing yeah. it since before um she got really famous I think the album is like a little messy and scattered it's very but, like, messy it's my favorite of her three recent. or no four four albums that she's yeah. put out the most recent one um it definitely feels a little bit more like lived in for her to do that kind of music than like like I love what? good for you by Olivia Rodrigo I think it's probably the song of the summer mm-hmm. but it is like I mean it's like theater kid dress up a little bit like oh, I mean, she was born at the height of that movement like she like she's just and not saying that this isn't like like it's not like it is credible as an artist to do this but like I feel like she's not lived the experience as much as Halsey has and I feel like Mm-hmm. Well, good for you is a better song than anything off of that Hal- Halsey album. Like Halsey, it, like I have to give credit to Halsey for like actually mining her childhood, right? Like that the yeah. sounds of her childhood for like she's doing she's doing a well thought out take on the revivalism, I guess. But yeah, 
I mean, even Billie Eilish is getting into that game with the second half of Happier Forever, yeah. which I think kind of blows that like that single track blows all of Sour out of the water. Like which one? Happier, uh, happier. Oh, the title track. Yes, happier than ever. Wow. And the second half of that like goes in. You know, the heavy guitar riffs and like the angst and all of that. Yeah. For me. I've talked about it briefly on this podcast. I find that album such a snooze in general. I agree. Like, I think the rest of Happier that, Than I, Ever is a, a good song, I guess. But like, that song is a banger. Uh, everything else is kind of sort of her grappling with fame and which I don't, coming to terms with it. And I, I mean, don't yeah, find I mean, that she's compelling. 19. Like, yeah. 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 It's part of like the Lord album did that a little bit too. And I didn't find the, I like Lord. I love Lord, like still do love Lord. We but love this most Lord. recent album. We don't really not... know what's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's just not like people talking about like the perils of fame and success in 2021 are like it's not compelling as it's not as compelling as it used to be because this is not like new subject matter for pop stars. But like now that Mm-mm. social media is such a thing, like we can see the evidence and the spoils of your lifestyle and your work every day if we just choose mm-hmm. to follow you like it's not like there's like mystery and like inner turmoil that like well, we're not if really you listen to these anymore. albums there's lots of inner turmoil though. sure but like it's <laughs> like we're still seeing you like on all these like do all these magazine shoots and like jet set during covid with your like designer dogs and stuff right in like, your private jets yeah, yeah it's not i don't know I, I get that it's tough and, and like there the there's just an immense amount of scrutiny under especially all these like young female pop stars but like and like I mean Lil Nas X has talked about how like it's been so difficult for him to just exist as a black gay man mm-hmm. even with all of these like like the trappings of wealth and status but like I don't know it's just not as like like if at least like make it sound a little bit more bright and interesting because the these like Jack Antonoff albums are starting to become pretty uh snoozy. But... Yeah, even the latest Bleachers album was very much a snore. And yeah, I'm a big Bleachers fan. Chinatown's a great track. But yeah, Chinatown's good, but yeah, I agree. The rest yeah. of it was like a little like, and I like Bleachers. I like Jack Antonoff too. Like. Mm-hmm in general but yeah this is like the latter half of 2021 has not been you know to actually circle it back to Donda that's something interesting that I'm thinking about now is a lot of his previous albums or Kanye has grappled with you know the whole famed or I mean he's very much embraced being famous and also persecuted but Donda doesn't do that as much or doesn't contend with the whole fame aspect of it as much because I feel like he is very comfortable in like where he is as a public figure at this point yeah no totally like and he's i mean he's done like the examinations of fame before but he did it so like psychologically brutally in a way that like honestly like i mean you can like drake's been doing the same thing for like 10 years now but he's you could not have like drake's whole psychological torture narrative without Kanye doing it first. Yeah. And I think and Drake's power, done songs like that well. Sets the stage for, you know, right. yeah. off my beautiful, yeah. Absolutely. Um, I think we have to wrap up though. 
which is sad. This was such a good discussion. Please Um, um, ask me to tear the community apart more because I want to do more of these. You are welcome anytime. Um, Where can people find you on social media? Slash you have anything you want to plug? Oh, sure. I am at LynnQU. That is L-Y-N-N-Q-Y-U. And you can find me on Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. But I actually also run a Substack uh, current events newsletter with pop culture musings on Fridays called You Oughta Know. And you can find that at lynnqu.substack.com. And if you sign up for that, you will be informed both about international events and also um, about the things that me and Drew discussed just now in this podcast, Crisis Twink Things. Awesome. Um... Yeah, I definitely recommend following her. You're an incredible follow on social media. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, you can find me on Twitter at FKA Pigs with the Z on Instagram at Drew Haskins with C's. And in a rare first for the podcast, we the two Substacks to plug now. I think you're the first guest who's also had a Substack. Um, mine is called Culture Pig. Um, you can find at culturepig.substack.com for free weekly newsletters on just cultural musings in general. If you are new to this podcast from last week's episode with Tyler, you definitely should subscribe. Um, and I think that's about it for me. Oh, also please rate and review this podcast on Apple Yay. Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars. <laughs> yes, please. Or four. A tasteful four is also fine, but um, <laughs> preferably be five. But um yeah, thank you so much again for doing this. You have an open invitation to come back whenever you want. Uh, there's so many emergencies to discuss at any given time. So well, I will absolutely let you know. When the culture is in decline, um, I should release <laughs> bi-weekly, but <laughs> like, uh, it's at least uh, I think we did a good job keeping it kind of slightly bright, slightly light today, even when we were dealing with E. 27 song behemoth of an album behemoth and to all listeners who haven't listened the the only songs you really need to listen to off the album are jail maybe hurricane yeah Uh, that that's about it i agree yeah yeah well take some time this weekend to uh dip your toe in see what you think and until next time i'm drew bye bye